0: man! Hey, can we just get the band a hand real quick for leading us this morning? That was fantastic. Wow, thank you guys. Well, hey, um, happy Easter. You guys can be seated. Rushmore already stole my thunder with the, uh, um, uh, he is risen, he's risen indeed. Um, and so just want to welcome you this morning to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And, and for me, God, I, I had a moment over here, uh, a moment uh, ago, uh, where just uh, a little bit of tears, because um, two Easter's ago, it was, I think, like me, Garrett, Matt, and Jacqueline, Idy, uh, just like with, and Bill, just like with a camera, um, and there was nobody in this room. And last year, everybody was kind of coming out of things, and people have moved to other parts of the country, and everything's kind of shuffling around. And and today, to see all of your faces, to see this room full, to, to, to just recognize that, hey, we made it to Easter Sunday. Praise God for that. Like today is a good news day and 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 as we as we talk about um John chapter 20 day if you have your bibles you can grab those uh, we've got bibles for you out there if you don't have one they'll be up on the screen but by way of of kind of preface um I want you to ask yourself what's your most significant day what's the day um the moment that you look back on when when there was a life before and, and a life after and and, and and you know you kind of measure time by that, right these days that are significant that changes your expectations of and engagement with every day that follows after that right for some of us they're really good days, right and we celebrate them with with wedding anniversaries or birthdays and and, and that type of deal and, and and you know like hey, that was an awesome day that that day you got the job that that day you know you you moved to Florida, that day that you know whatever like whatever your great day is right. And for some of us, it's not that day. It's, it's the, there's, there's those days, but, but man, they just don't shine quite as bright because there's, there's a day where you got a diagnosis. There's a day where you got a divorce. There's a day where you had to deal with death. And even individually and, and collectively, there's... There's days for us, communally, as a, as a people that, that have great significance. For, for my generation, it was, it was 9-11, right? For, for an earlier generation, maybe Pearl Harbor. For, for those of us in the last two years, right? Like, like when was that two weeks to, to stop the spread start, right? Well, there's a before and there's an after. And, and, and maybe some of these days are so bad that you haven't truly known joy since and you, something cries out for you and you say, hey, uh, I, I don't want it to be this way, I, I do want hope, I do want something better, and, and for us as Christians, we, we believe the Easter and the resurrection of Jesus are that day, are that turning point that defines and describes every aspect of our life since. And so as you come in today, whether you've been part of a church or this is your first time gathering or or, or whether you don't know anything about Christianity, I want you to know that the Easter's not a spring idea of like, the sun came out for a moment, now there's some flowers and there's a bit of renewal. Easter's not an idea. Resurrection's not an idea to consider, but it's an event that we behold. We behold. And so today we're not going to do anything new. I I doubt if you've grown up in church that you're going to hear anything that's necessarily earth-shattering. But what we're going to do is be reminded of what's true. Because that's what we need. We need to be reminded of what's true. And as as Christians, we have very significant days that we look at the world through. Like we, we believe that God created the world in the first days. He made everything good we believe that there was a day where sin entered the world humanity rejected who god is rejected the truth that god loves them rejected the good boundaries that god had given them the provision that god had given them and it led to days of wilderness after that and yet where humanity um, says sin god answers with a promise of grace with a, with a promise that, that there's a day that is gonna come, he says, where a savior king is going to end death, end evil, is going to bring life, and he's going to bring joy. He's gonna live with perfect obedience, he's gonna set captive sinners free, he's gonna sacrifice uh, for us, and, and he's gonna raise again victorious, and, and we, we celebrate that arrival on Christmas, that Jesus Christ entered into history, that God showed back up in a mighty, mighty way to say, hey, I am bringing light where there's only been darkness. And Jesus lived that life, and, and he, he um, had his ministry, and he preached, and he taught, and he did miracles, and he all sorts of different things. And that leads us up to, to this past week that we've been in that as Christians we call Holy Week because it's a week that is set apart for worship specifically. And I won't walk you through this whole week, but I'll, I'll just walk you through the last couple days of it on, on Friday. After Jesus had been betrayed, after he'd gone through a trial um, to show that he was guilty and when yet he was innocent, there's death, there's loss, there's burial, and there's hopelessness. And that's what we remembered on Good Friday. And, And if you're a Christian and you gather at our church, you know that we remember Friday every single Sunday we go forward and take communion. Remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And you're like, well, why why do you gotta bring that up? This is Easter, right? I I had donuts, I've got, you know, I've got flowers, we got the pictures taken, all that, right? Well, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that's what makes Good Friday good. And, and, And we can't have the joy of Resurrection Sunday without the sorrow of Good Friday. Friday's good because Jesus is on the cross and we're not. But make no mistake, it was a day that was defined by death. Yesterday, Saturday... Sometimes called Forgotten Saturday, right? this this in-between time where, where there's this restlessness. If you had your faith and trust in Jesus and, and you saw him like, taken by religious leaders and by a corrupt government and just kind of put up there and sacrificed, he's dead, he's buried, and with him is hope. With him is purpose. With him is the future. And it was a Sabbath day for the religious people, a day of rest and, and a day of recovery after a, a big festival. But instead, it was marked by tension and anxiousness and uncertainty and, and just kind of like, man, should I even, have you even followed Jesus? What was, what was the point? Hope is dead. Today, defined by things being unresolved for real people who needed a real hope. And then. Sunday be- begins, and, and, and you know, Sunday for, for them back then, it wasn't a day of rest. It, it was a day of work. It was the beginning of the week. It was kind of like, hey, you know, cable news has kind of like that news cycle that kind of leads you through the week, and then all right, that, that story's done. And so, hey, now it's Sunday morning. It's a new week. Hey, you better get back to work. You better start doing uh, your activities again. Kids need to go to school. Why don't you all just move on from Jesus? Everything that happened to Jesus is in the past. Story over, book closed, move on, forget about Jesus. But that's not what we're here, right? I mean, we're we're not here remembering a dark story ending. We're we're here celebrating that a new chapter has opened when that tomb opened and Jesus Christ came out. We have a living hope on Sunday, and that's what we're going to look at today. John chapter 20 verses 1 through 10 says this, Now on the first day of the week, so that's Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's actually John talking about himself, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Hold on to that. Then the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first, John really wants you to know he's faster than Peter, He put in the Bible twice. Okay. I mean, post it up on Strava right there in the Bible. Okay. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture. that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, well, not all of them, actually. The, The guys went home. Mary stayed, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So it's the first day of the week, rest is over, right? It's, it's, it's early in the morning, uh, it's still dark out, it says. Um, Mary Magdalene um, uh, has come to the tomb, maybe with some other women as well. Um, everybody else has kind of moved on and, and, and they've had this scary, disorienting experience. And, and Mary and the other women that were there, their whole expectation, and maybe this is your expectation today as well, is to meet a dead Jesus, right? What is she expecting? She's expecting, I'm gonna go to the tomb, I'm going to, you know, we're going to um, do some, some care there. We're going to, you know, kind of spruce things up. We're going to take care of Jesus' body. She's preparing to encounter a dead Jesus. She's not avoiding grief. She's actually a dedicated mourner. I mean, she's there before the work week would start. She's a faithful follower. I mean, she is, Mary Magdalene, probably besides Jesus' mom, was the most faithful of all the disciples during that holy week. And I say that because, right, most of the other disciples, most of the men had kind of run off. And we know that that, that Mary was there with Jesus' mom at the end. She'd seen the betrayal, the trial. Um, Peter, Peter, we knew, right? He's he's supposed to be the rock. He's the leader. He's the big aggressive loud guy. Man, Peter split. Failed three times. If you come back and join us next week, we'll talk about how Jesus and his grace restores Peter three times. But in this in this interim. She's seen this. She's, everybody's crumbled under the stress and pressure of what's happening to Jesus and with Jesus, and yet Mary was present and steadfast. She remained at the cross at the bitter end, and now she's the first one at the tomb at the beginning of this week to serve. Um, there's this, this um, old poem um, that's not attributed, but it says this about Mary. Not, not she with traitorous kiss her master stung. Not she denied him with unfaithful tongue. She, when apostles fled... Could dangerous brave last at the cross, earliest at the grave? What, what's, what's Mary's story? Why, why is she so dedicated to Jesus? Well, quite frankly, she's, she's met Jesus, she's been changed by Jesus, she's been transformed by Jesus. You can read more about um, her story of, of kind of coming to faith in Luke chapter eight, um, but it simply tells us that her and some other women, they were met by Jesus in this terrible state. They, they were diseased, they were under spiritual oppression, maybe there had been abuse in their past, possibly even human trafficking. Like she had had a very rough and difficult life. She was seen as an outcast, spiritual attack. It says that she had seven demons that came out of her. She lived a life of bondage. And then she's met by Jesus. And there's a scene in The Chosen um, where where, um, Jesus meets Mary. and, And rather than these other names she's been called, he calls her by her name. And she sees, feels known and seen for the first time, maybe even safe for the first time in, in years and years. And, and the life before had been bondage, but the life with Jesus now was freedom. And, and then it continued for, for years during Jesus' ministry where she was there and faithful. And, and as this is all going on, maybe now she's at this place where she's experienced the compassion of God in Jesus Christ, but now Jesus is dead and buried. And maybe there's just a part of her that's wondering if her transformation is dead and buried too. Some of us have suffered through addictions or suffered through different seasons where we're like, okay, I think I made it out of that. And you're, you're trucking along only to, to backslide or to be ensnared again. And you're like, oh no, maybe God's done with me. Maybe Mary had some of that same fear. And so she, she goes to the tomb, and what she finds isn't what she expects. She's clearly disoriented, right? You know, the tomb's open. It's empty. She runs back to find Jesus' two disciples, right? Peter and John. John, like I said, super fit. John doesn't miss a workout. John does CrossFit. Peter's a fisherman. He's just, you know, hitting the buffet tables a few too many times, apparently, right? And, and, and these guys are like, oh my gosh, wait, Jesus? He, he, he might be alive, or the tomb is empty? So they're booking it back. John gets there first, as we know. But then Peter shows up, and, like, and John, John, John won't even quite bring himself to, to go into the tomb. He's, he's there. Maybe, maybe he's waiting for Peter to catch up. I don't know. But Peter gets there, and he just shoves John aside and just, just gets all up in the tomb. And he's looking around, and he's, he's seeing everything, and he just wants to know, is the tomb empty? And, and, and I don't know Peter's mindset at this time, but like I said, Peter had failed. He saw Jesus die. He betrayed him three different times and said, I don't even know that guy. But Jesus also said that he would rise. And now if that tomb's empty, he's like, oh no, the last time I locked eyes with Jesus, he was looking at me before he went to the cross. What is he gonna say to me now when I see him? He's disoriented. He pushes through. And and there's this there's this detail that's in here um, in, uh, in verse uh, seven about the face cloth, and you're like, why would John put that in? there? like, the burial cloths are over here, the face cloth is folded and kind of put off to the side. You're like, that seems insignificant. Is he just kind of staging things? No, it's, it's incredibly significant. It's actually an apologetic meaning like, hey, we wanna, we wanna just tell you that Jesus didn't just die, or, or see, Jesus didn't get injured and, and push himself out of the tomb. There wasn't grave robbers. See, that's really important because linen was incredibly valuable. Spices, incredibly valuable. The grave robbers wouldn't have been in there to just, like, steal a dude's body. They would want the linens. They'd want the spices. And so what John is saying is you might hear stories about where Jesus' body went, but I I just want you to know that those are already debunked, fake news. And then, yeah, but what about that, that one little shroud? It said that it used to be over Jesus' face. The significance of that ceremonially was when you'd fold up a cloth in that culture, you were saying you were done and not going to need it anymore. It was typically done like like a meal, like a a Passover, like, hey, I'm done, over with this meal. In this case, Jesus was done with death. Not going to need that face covering anymore because he lives. He's alive, he lives, he reigns. So the the disciples there are undoubtedly thinking about some maybe Old Testament prophecies that they grew up in Bible school about the risen Savior who wouldn't be held by death. Jesus is gone, neatly folded, right? And, And how do they each respond? Well, we see that John, it says, responded. He believed. I mean, John didn't even go in the empty tomb. He just, all right, the tomb is empty. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. That's fantastic, Good for John, right? Early early adopter on these things. Um, Later, uh, in John 28, 29, he would record that Jesus would say, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. I don't know about you, I haven't seen the empty tomb. I haven't physically seen the resurrected Jesus. But the resurrected Jesus told John to tell us, blessed are those of us who believe in Jesus, the resurrected King, even when we haven't seen him. What about Peter? Well, like I said, you know, he's, he, he's definitely kind of considering some of his life choices on how he, how he stuck it out there at the end with Jesus, or rather didn't. And, and Luke 24, um, uh, verse 12, tells us that Peter marveled, and, and, and that's a word that's really contemplative. He's pondering, he's considering, like, wh- what does this mean? I mean, the tomb is empty. Yeah, I think Jesus is alive, but what does that mean for my life? Maybe that's where you're at where you're like, yeah, i I got some things I need to consider. Okay, what about Mary? Peter's in process, but what about Mary? Let's move on to verses 11 through 16. It says this. So after verse 10, right, the disciples went back home. They're like, okay, we're we're done at the grave. We're going to go back home. We're either going to live our lives or we're going to rally other guys. We'll, We'll look at that. What about Mary? Verse 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white standing where the body of jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet and they said to her woman why are you weeping she said they've taken away my lord i don't know where they've laid him having said this she turned around and saw jesus standing she didn't know it was jesus and jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking supposing him to be the gardener she said to him sir if you, if you carry him away tell me where you've laid him and i will take him away and jesus said to her mary and she turned she said to him in aramaic rabboni which means teacher and jesus said to her Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced, proclaimed to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. There's Mary preaching that first sermon on Easter Sunday. There we go. So the men have moved on. They're, they're, they're back home. Uh, Mary's kind of sticking it out. She, she's, let's just be honest. Mary's a wreck. Okay? She's, she, she went there. She got the disciples. Mo- she, she's made that trip a few times. Emotionally drained, physically drained, spiritually drained. She can't imagine her life with e- Jesus. She, she maybe can't even believe that Jesus is alive. And, and, and part of that is she does not have a life without Jesus. Peter... Man, we see Peter just goes back to fishing. Peter had a great career in fishing before Jesus showed up and says, you're going to be a fisher of men. John, John was set up from the beginning. John's dad was wealthy, had multiple fishing boats, had a big staff. John was all set up to inherit the family business. But Mary, like we said, trafficked, tormented, cast aside. The only life of freedom that she's ever known is with Jesus. And now she's in great need of hope, of, of some path forward, and, and she, she, she doesn't have anywhere else to go. I mean, maybe you know, she's there at the end of the cross. She's there at the beginning. She's disoriented, and now she's to full despair. She's stuck at the, at the tomb. She's, yeah, the tomb's empty, but what about the body? And in her pain, Messengers of the Lord, angels, it says, visit her with hope and, and even a bit of correction. There's all of a sudden she, she looks in and sees and she sees two angels. So she's already been there with Peter and John. They're, they're gone. Now she sees two angels on every end of the tomb. And, and they're like, Um, what what are you still doing here? You know, other other accounts, right? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. In this case, she asked, or they ask her, like, like, why, why are you weeping? This is, this is Sunday morning. This is the joy. The sorrow was Friday. The, 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 the disorientation was Saturday. This is resurrection. It's time to move. It's a bit of an admonishment. And, and what's amazing, right? God has worked in her midst. God is working right in front of her. I mean, two angels. Um, show, well, not show hands. I've seen zero. Doesn't mean I don't believe they're real, but I've seen zero. Maybe you've seen a few. We can have a discussion afterwards. She's got two angels right in front of her. Like, God's clearly at work. I mean, there's times where we're suffering, times where we've gone through trauma, times where things look dark, and, and God's like already working, and we're just slow to pick up because we're like, I don't see a way forward. Like, hey, that whole Red Sea is parted. You can go walk through it now. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, have you seen the Egyptian army? I mean, they're there. They're, they're coming. Yeah, 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 go, quick. It's time to move on. We're not staying at the front of the split open sea. You're going through the sea and onto the promised land. That's where you're going. And so she, she's there, and she still believes that the enemies of Jesus are working, that the enemies of Jesus not only are working, are winning, because she's talking to angels. And they're like, why are you sad? Well, I'm sad because, like, they took his body. The bad guys took the body. The bad guys won. Did you see what the bad guys did on Friday? Oh, the legalistic religious people. Oh, the pagan government just repressed the the movement of Christianity. The church is dead. The church is scattered. Our leader's gone. The enemy has won. And they're like, no. No. No, right? Panic and doubt has led her to hopeless. She's locked into a hopeless narrative. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have a hopeless narrative for your life or for the future. Um, Full disclosure, I, I, I had to uh, take uh, an emotional intelligence test for um, a church network that I'm a part of because they're, they're training me up in like a leadership position. I guess I wanna make sure I wasn't crazy. Um, and, um, and, and as they, they did that, I'm not gonna tell you what the findings are, but um, uh, so in one of them though, it was like rate your optimism. Now they didn't say that, but it was like, that's it with the test reviewed. And I scored like super, super low on optimism. And I got my results. And I was like, who after the last two years is optimistic? I scored really well on rating reality. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll take that. It means I see it as it is. For Mary, she's locked in this this negative narrative. She's, she's, She's not thinking of resurrection when it comes to Jesus. She's thinking of desecration. He's not alive, the body's gone. It's been a nice run of freedom, hasn't it? A nice run of being free from oppression, having a community, having people around you that know you and love you, having Jesus present. But that's that's over on Friday. Now Mary's decided that Jesus is dead, and maybe you've decided Jesus is dead too. Because see, a, a dead Jesus doesn't break the chains of addiction. A dead Jesus is just a good example for you to live on. Good teacher to maybe take some pithy sayings that can either make you a uber-Republican or a communist, one of the two, right? A, de- a dead Jesus doesn't demand your allegiance. A dead Jesus can't call you to holiness. A dead Jesus, a dead Jesus can't give you hope, can't give you a living hope. It's in that moment of despair, that moment of hopelessness, where she's met by Jesus to give her joy and commission her and commission us for mission. And maybe you're like, wait, Jesus is standing right there. Why doesn't she recognize him? I don't know. Said it was early in the morning, maybe Jesus is backlit and she doesn't recognize him, right? Her whole mind, maybe psychosomatically, she's like, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. So she can't see him alive. Maybe she's been crying so much, her eyes are puffed up and she just can't see straight. And Jesus doesn't say, hey Mary, it's me, it's fine, don't worry about it. But what is the first thing Jesus does? He comes to Mary in the midst of her sorrow and he engages with her at the heart level. Repeating the questions that the angels ask, but I, I I speculate maybe with a bit more compassion. And ask her, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? I want you to ask yourself that. Why are you weeping? What is the source of your despair? What is the source of your pain? What is the source of your sorrow? What is the source of your hopelessness? What is the, the thing that gets, leaves your soul downcast? Jesus wants to know. In fact, Jesus knows it better than you do. Through the Holy Spirit, like sometimes we've got prayers that are just these groanings too deep for words. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You just had this groan, this angst, this, ah, oh, I want something better. Jesus knows. And he's there for you. Because that second question matters too. Who are you seeking? Where do you wanna find hope? Do you wanna find hope in yourself? Good luck. You wanna find hope in others? Gonna let you down. Wanna find hope in politics? Nope. Wanna find hope in entertainment? Nope. Wanna find hope in the economy? For sure, hard pass. What are you seeking? Who are you seeking? She's seeking Jesus. She still says he's the gardener. I mean, gosh, when we are in doubt, when we're wrestling with doubt, we underestimate the power of the risen Jesus. Like I said, I mean, here's Jesus right there. She's like, nah, he's probably the gardener. She has doubt, she has distress. What What she longs for is too little. Can you just, if you're the gardener, can you just tell me where the body is? Because then at least I can honor Jesus as like a martyr. Her hope is too little. And she's presented with something so much more. A risen, living Savior. A living hope. Jesus in the flesh there. And yet, there's something about it that's still blocking her from fully understanding what's going on. And then it hits her in this moment. When Jesus, has already asked her some questions, she's, the body's gone, I don't know what to do. And he's, Mary. Mary. I've heard that voice before. That's what he, he called me by my name when he brought me out of oppression, when he brought me out of my tomb of slavery of sin. I know that voice, that's Jesus. Whatever you are going through in life, Jesus not only knows, but today is the day that he is calling you by name. I don't know all your names, and you might even tell me and I'll probably still forget. Jesus Christ knows every hair on your head. He knows every tear you've ever shed. He knows every dark thought in your soul. He knows every longing and hope you have for the future. He knows every doubt and question you have in the present. He is longing to give you hope, and he calls you today by your name, knowing your story, and says, I am here to give you a living hope. Nothing else you will put hope in will truly satisfy. He's calling you to believe and to follow him. How are you gonna respond? How do we respond? How does Mary respond? Well, well in this case, I mean, Jesus is like, hey, Mary, you gotta, like you're gotta you hugging me a little too tight, right? Anybody have that, that, that friend, right? They hug you just a little too tight. The time when you got your kids, and maybe they've been separated from you in the grocery store, and then you see them, and they run up to you, and they squeeze you so tight. And that's Mary, and she's, she's so afraid, Jesus is here, yes! This is the turning point, this is the moment, and the problem is when, when we get so excited about our turning point and our moment, we forget that Jesus hasn't called us just to a turning point, but he's called us to a new life of mission and purpose for him. So he says, Mary, hey, we ain't hanging out in the tomb. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about the tomb, like all the time, like every year people are gonna get together, they're gonna talk about this empty tomb, this is a big deal but Mary, I got so much more for you. I got so much more for you than just the turning point of you going from bondage of sin to, to, to hopelessness to real and living hope with Jesus. No, I got a life for you because guess what? There's a whole bunch of people out there that are gonna need this living hope. They're trapped in despair. 2,000 years from now, there's gonna be people in the, in the, the upper left coast of America that are gonna be so despairing who have gonna, who already suffered through second winter and they're gonna need some hope. And Mary, you better go tell the disciples so they can tell people, so they can tell people. So brothers and sisters in Christ for a couple thousand years can spread the good news that our hope isn't dead, our savior isn't dead, the tomb is alive, our hearts are full, Jesus is alive, he is risen, he is reigning, and he is returning, and that is what gives us hope. That's what we need, that's what we need. It says tell them you're God's children Tell them you're all adopted sons and daughters. That that relationship Jesus has with the Father, we share. And it's not just individually that you're part of the people, brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, the last two years I've seen so many Christians scatter, uh, not to necessarily other churches, but just scatter, period. And there is not a concept in the New Testament or in the Bible of, of Christians that, that live separate from other Christians and don't gather together as a church. We ain't the best church. There's lots of great faithful churches all over. Maybe this isn't your home. But find a home. Find a people. Press in. Do the faithful, normal things that Mary did of just showing up. And watch what Jesus will do in your midst. She goes and she tells everybody about Jesus, and, and later that, that Peter, who was a failure, and how do we respond, and, and what does that mean for us individually? That failure Peter, who we'll look at next week, was fully restored. He ended up writing a letter to a bunch of churches in uh, Turkey, in what's known as Asia Minor, with a bunch of Christians that were, they were a minority in the culture, they were marginalized by the government, but religiously, economically. Um, they're like, this is my home, but man, there's just some things that don't fit. It seems like our gears are grinding all the time with the culture and the government around us. How are we gonna make this work? They're despairing. And this is the living hope that Peter gives them in 1 Peter chapter, three, 1, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says this to some people that needed hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah, they've had their turning point, but maybe they're getting a little little tired and run down on the mission. Yeah, they had that, that day of celebration where they got baptized, but it's been a while since they've taken communion. That they've remembered Friday, and yeah, they remember Saturday, or rather Sunday as a distant memory, but they're living in a Saturday world of despair. And this is what he says to them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he doesn't say that we got great character, that just stick through, guys, you can do it. Like, no, you're weak. We're weak, we're exhausted. Think of the character and mercy of God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again or or born from above. That's a, a new spiritual life. The you who existed apart from Jesus is gone. The you who now lives for Jesus has risen and is living. He says you're born again to an idea, to a teacher, to a way of being, to a political party. No, you're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the bedrock of our faith. This is what all of Christianity hinges on. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're not just looking back, he says, we're looking forward to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be received in the last time. This is future hope for former sinners. He says, hey, how are we going to make it through this? How are we going to live in light of Sunday moving forward? We're going to live in light of Sunday? Let Sunday be our turning point, and we're going to see God's character, not our own. God's mercy in the face of our sin. You want living hope? You won't find it apart from Jesus, and here's why. Because whether it's today, tomorrow, or thousands of days from now, there will be a day that you will face death and on that day, there are only two options for you. Either you will spend eternity with Jesus and with the Lord in paradise, or you will face and receive judgment from God. Those are the only two options. It is as simple and as significant as that. But Peter and Jesus and our God, they don't lead with fear. They don't even lead with our past. See, we, we focus so much on our past, we focus so much on our stories, right, because we think that's what defines our identity, and yet our God isn't pointing us to our past, he's pointing us to our future destiny. See, our, our God wants us to find our identity not in what we've done or what's been done to us or who we've been, but what he has done for us and where we're going. That living hope has absolute implications for us today. It is, we need to respond to Jesus with faith and repentance. But it also looks forward to a greater day, he says, where that inheritance, that means the promised land that we are going to receive and experience is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It won't die. It's a place of glory. It's a place where the glory never fades. And the most important part, I think, of all that is that it is secured by God. It's not even secured by what we do. It's secured by God. This hope we have with God is protected by God. It's safe. It can't be lost. And it gives us the simple truth. The today is not the best we'll ever experience. The best is not now, but the best is yet to come. So who are you? Where are you in the story? When are you in the story? Right now, in a moment, we're going to ask you to stand. We're going to ask you to sing. We're going to ask you to grab your kids from Mercy Kids so they can come in and the teachers can come in and see us perform baptisms. But, but um, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, we invite you to come forward and remember Friday. Remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us in the cup and in the bread. Maybe you're in a place of Saturday. Man, the anxiousness, the toil, the the despair is just overwhelming. That's okay. There are days, the Christians, the first Christians went through Saturday. There are days where Saturday feels like a couple years or longer. But we will fall into a crushing despair if we don't remember that Sunday's coming. Yes, the Sunday that Jesus rose has already happened. But Jesus will return someday and there's no more sickness, and no more suffering, and no more tears, and there's a new heavens and a new earth. Maybe you're like Peter, and, and you just think, man, I've just failed too much for God. If, if, I, if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is real, if he meets me, he's gonna know what a failure I am. Jesus already knows what a failure you are. And he meets you with mercy, and grace, and restoration. Maybe you're John, and you believe, and you just, man, you're just here every week, and you're faithful, and that's awesome, and, and you just need to be reminded of what's true. Maybe you're Mary who's in grief and despair and you need to be met by Jesus and you need to be called by name and you need to move from weeping to worship. After we sing a few songs, we're we're gonna celebrate baptisms and there's five people who uh, are gonna be baptized and what baptism is is it lets us uh, 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 kind of signify what Jesus has done for us. His body buried in the water his body resurrected as we come out of the water. It's a pledge of allegiance as Jesus as our king and trusting him as our savior. So we're gonna celebrate the Sundays that have already happened for some people. Jesus has called you by name. He's made you new. But maybe today you had something else totally on your agenda. Maybe you're like, hey, if this guy could wrap it up, I could get to brunch. But Jesus has something else for you on your agenda. He's calling you by name right now to turn from despair to a living hope when you simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good